This episode is being brought to you guys by our incredible sponsors, Tenant Inc., Live Oak Bank, and Janus International. Starting it off with Tenant Inc., their products are designed by owners for owners. And Tenant Inc. is funded and managed by self-storage owners with vast industry experience spanning decades. These guys super know their stuff, incredible people. They understood what the industry lacked and knew what needed to be provided. So technology in the industry sets basic operators apart from professional operators, and they knew exactly what the industry needed, and their technology puts the owners back into the driver's seat. On to our next sponsor, we've got Live Oak Bank, who is on a mission to be America's small business bank. Incredible group of people there who know and understand self-storage. We've talked to so many people that use their services in the self-storage industry and have had nothing but incredible experiences with Live Oak. If you guys are interested in SBA loans, starting in storage, any of that phenomenal resource for you to look at. Last but not least, Janus International. They've got everything from doors and hallways to installation, automation, and facility restoration. Their R3 program helps you revitalize facilities, bring them back to life. Um, They are a leading global provider of self-storage and commercial industry doors, relocatable storage units, facility automation solutions, and door replacement and self-storage restoration services. Again, these guys have been in the industry for so long. They know their stuff. They do incredible work. All the links to these incredible, amazing sponsors are down below in the show notes. Check them out. Get at them. With that said, enjoy the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, and today we have an awesome podcast with the one and only Chris Ramsey. He's got storage facilities across the Northeast, as well as down in Florida, is in the middle of a huge conversion down there. So I just, I'm so excited about this one. I can't wait to dive in. With that, Connor, should we just bring him? bring him on in, man. Chris, how are you, dude? Hi guys, doing well. Doing well. How are you? Good. Oh, doing fantastic. Excited to have you on here on the uh, the podcast, and excited to dive into uh, all things storage. That's right. Absolutely. Now, g- give us a little background before we we dive in. I mean, me and you were talking the other day, and we talked for like an hour because we could just talk about this stuff just endlessly. So, uh, give everybody some of your background, man, and uh, how you got into this game. Yeah. So basically, my parents owned a. Uh, moving company and obviously moving and storage are, um, you know, very closely associated. Right. Um, so with them owning that and me being involved so much, we seen how fast self-storage was evolving. Right. Uh, so basically that's how we got into self-storage along the way. I also started a, uh, software company for the moving industry, um, that does surveys on moving jobs. So, uh, again, 
when you're surveying or think about it like estimating a moving job, you'll see how many people actually move into storage units. And uh, the numbers would really shock you. Um, it's pretty close to like 20% of people uh, wow. that are moving end up getting a storage unit in, in some fashion. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot yeah. of people. It is. A ton of that's people. a lot of people. And so did you start within that company and then just divert, say, hey, we need to move our focus over to storage? And was that acquisition based? Did you start building? How was that move? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started with actually clear span buildings. So in the moving industry, you can have a, you know, like a big warehouse and it's just they're in what they call crate, crated storage, which you've ever seen. They're basically like wooden boxes in a clear span building and you can stack them three high, right? So we were filling those up rapidly. And then our first facility we opened in 1996, our first self-storage facility. Uh, and at the time, really no one knew if they were gonna fill up or not, right? You were taking a huge risk. You had no idea. Um, but then that one filled up and then, you know, just on from there, we stopped really doing the Claire span buildings with the wooden containers and started moving just strictly into the self-storage industry. Um, yeah, so that's how we got here. It's awesome. And uh, give us a snapshot of where you're at. How many facilities or how do you track it and uh, uh, view it? Yeah, so we have 15 facilities currently, and then we have a couple in progress right now, a um, couple conversions. Uh, we're actually doing a new build, new construction build. Um, and then um, we also have a couple acquisitions going on. So really every aspect of the self-storage industry we're in right now. Um, as far as, you know, and we talked about this a little bit, as far as the building, it's just, it, it's tough right now. Um, yeah. It's always been tough, but it gets tougher and tougher, especially when you're in places like New York, right? Um, to get these permits, get these approvals, uh, it just takes forever to get this stuff. So uh, building expenses, obviously building materials. So, but it's inevitable, right? Every acquisition you buy, usually there's going to be some room for expansion or eventually that'll, it'll come to that. Right. So, uh, you're going to be building eventually. Um, lucky, luckily enough, we've, we've done a lot of building projects, so we know the cost, we know the, uh, what it's going to take to make it successful really. You know, the lease up period, we know all that. So um, we try to stay away from new construction at this point, uh, right now at least. Um, we love the conversions. I don't see them yeah. talked about a lot, you know, especially where, where we met up on Twitter. I, I really hardly ever see anybody mention them. Yeah. But I mean, the conversions are great, right? You can get a building for, you know, half the cost of replacement value. You fill it with storage units and then you lease them up. It's way faster, way easier. Um, so we really focus a lot on those and acquisitions at this point. Yeah, us too. We love the conversions too. We're in the middle of a huge office building one and then just went under contract with another one, right? Yeah, yep. We uh, got a contract on another one that uh, is going to be a lot more simple than the the one we're working on now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned like the office buildings, the office yep. buildings are tough. You know, you got to go in there and look at them um, and see, is it possible? Can these walls be knocked down? I yes. had a school, I had a school that was like 75,000 square feet. And by the time I got done with it, it ended up being like 130 units. And I looked at it for about 
five hours straight. And I was like, there's no way at 75,000 square feet, I can only get 130 units. But when I, the walls I couldn't take out, when I actually kept looking at it, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. So some of them do get tricky. Yes. Um, but with the, that's, that's ours too. Ours yeah. too. Same thing. We had to put a second floor in. Yeah. Right. And then you find ones like these big box stores, you know, a lot of these Kmart's uh, old malls, mm-hmm. things like that. They're going out of business now, obviously with Amazon and everybody talks about that. What are, what are those buildings going to be? Well, in my mind, I know exactly what they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Is the, are those easy conversions? Um, I actually talked to a guy in North Carolina that that's got a few Kmart's um, and wow, are those easy? Yeah. Right? That's what we do. We've got they're that. Fierce, got it under contract plan, you know, you go in there, throw the units in there. And those are, uh, those are beautiful. That's, that's beauty to me. Yeah, yes, yeah. As far as me being in the development department, I really do like those just plain projects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You like those ones? Those yeah. ones are a little bit better. Like it's that. a big empty box, like no walls, freaking rock and roll, dude. Yeah, let's right. go find some right. more of those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a little bit more expensive. Yeah, I think I think it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Totally it's, smart. It's definitely worth it. <laughs> but no, when you when you really start factoring in all the time it takes. I mean, I feel like that's something like the people don't usually factor in all the time that that these projects are going to take. With building, everything just takes so long. Yeah. I know Mm -hmm. people know it, but are they really factoring it in? A lot of people aren't. They they don't get that. They don't get that time. They don't get the time value. They don't understand the cost associated with the time when it's doing nothing. Well, it's hard. It's hard to put a value on, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But... I mean, obviously, we put put a lot of time into that, so we know the time and energy that it's going to take, and every little detail. You got to watch the contractors. We yeah. got we got four quotes on this uh, project we're doing right now, and it was hard to get four. Like we had mm-hmm. to literally email the people every day, like, "Hey, where's that quote?" You know what I mean? It'll take you weeks to even get quotes back, and some people will just not even end up answering or not even call you back, and you'll be like. What is going on here? And and the prices are just all over the map. It's crazy. Right yeah, now, when you're looking at these things, dude, I, I mean, I'm shocked. It's like some some people are giving you quotes, but they don't even, it's like they don't even want the job. So they're like 40% exactly. above what I normally do. If you take it, great. But other than that, I'll quit another job and go on to that one. But other than that, I don't even want it. And I'm putting a bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So they'll basically just price it ridiculously high. And if they win it, then I'll do it. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. And they are winning them doing that. That's why they do it. Yeah. There's, you know, there's not enough people literally to do the work. So, um, but again, it's inevitable that you are going to have to build at some point. And, uh, you know, I tell people it is great to actually know it and build it from the ground up because you'll actually learn a lot, you know, and you'll see a lot and you'll really, you know, get what goes into these projects. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're not always going to be able to just acquire perfect facilities, um, you know, that you can just go in and raise the prices. It's just not, they make it seem like it's that easy, but usually there's a, some other stuff involved. There's some other spaces, there's, you know, contractor garages, there's some office space with the self-storage units, right? There's room for expansion. Um, you know, that's just about an every acquisition I see there's, there's one of those things that that's just not, it's not quite exactly perfect. There's an apartment, there's two yeah. apartments with it. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's usually always something like that. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity in development right now, for sure. Uh, but again, like you're talking about with the unknowns and the risks that are development, you it really just comes into play the the importance of having those key partnerships and relationships yeah. with you know, those contractors and those those people that are going, those third parties, architects, engineers, whoever that are actually going to be going in and that you're partnering with essentially on those and getting those done. Um, because if you don't, I mean, yeah, it, you're taking, you're already taking on a massive risk. And if you don't have those key players, I mean, you're, you're taking on even more risk, which makes your breaks. It really does. Yeah. I like, mean, those are so, so tough, yeah. so tough, especially, I mean, too, again, going back to some of these more complicated conversion projects where, I mean, unless you have somebody that's specialized over the last 20, 30 years, whatever that is, and building out mm-hmm. unit mixes and getting a good, you know, utilization and ratio and things like that. I mean, they, you might be missing out on a ton of square footage in a building and think, oh, well, I, that's never going to work. Or uh, or you might go in and think that you can get more than you actually can or whatever that looks like. Um, so, yeah, you got to have those key players for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's another thing. Also, with conversions, I mean, sometimes it is beautiful and it's a nice Kmart. That's clear span. But a lot of the times there's something else, right? It's yes. not just a beautiful clear span building. Like you said, yes. you had one going on right now that's a little bit more complicated. It might have been some office spaces, which are typically a lot more complicated in the conversion yes. process when you're doing those office uh, buildings. But a lot of times those are in the nice spots, right? You yes. got a big office building that's in a great location. Uh-huh. Right? Where as opposed to like an industrial building, that's probably not in as great of a location as the office yeah. building, right? So um yeah, you gotta factor that then them things in. But uh and that's a big thing I don't see a lot of people factoring in or they weighed it too much, right? Like the idea that a conversion just in itself, and like I was talking, talking to you, doesn't mean the project's inherently good. Like there's a lot of conversion projects that we've turned away from because the market was bad. And, uh, you know, you're like, a, a conversion project is great in a great market, but especially right now where the market is, I mean, even in this, you know, for, for a bit, it's people, prices are crazy. And so it's like, the, you got to make sure you don't screw up and overpay for some of some of the deals that we've seen come across our desk on some of these bankruptcy Kmarts. I'm sitting here going, you got to replace the roof. You've got your HVAC shot. You've got, you know, all these problems. And when it's all said and done, it's the most expensive storage facility you can ever build. Yeah, absolutely. Sprinkler system is often one yes. of those hard deals, right? And then in them big buildings, you know, sprinkler systems cost hundreds of thousands, right? Um, elevators. I mean, if yes. you have some, uh, some buildings where we even put two elevators in. So that could be, Us a, two. that's a huge cost, right? Because you don't want the person walking from one side of the building all the way to the other side, no one's ever going to rent those units. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is another thing people say that that people don't really understand. And I always try to tell them like, oh yeah, I'll just build four high. Like, I mean, I think it's pretty much common sense that no one wants to go to the fourth floor. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. Yeah. We just had this. We- conversation on one of our projects recently where i mean it wasn't even four high it was just three and um we've been sitting here looking at it for for weeks and saying you know what and it it came down to at the end of the day we're like maybe we could go two, but but maybe. maybe and ideally we just need to do a single story because 
given the given the placement mm-hmm. of the facility, given its demographics, all of these other yeah. aspects that people need to be looking at, it's exactly like what you're talking about. No one is going to that, no third, going floor to that third floor and renting anything. And, and well, I should say, you know, when you're talking to when you're talking to people about this, a lot about this is the area that you're in. Exactly. Oh, 100%. We're doing one in Phoenix, and we're just gonna have yeah. a third floor on it. We're okay with yeah. that. Like, you know. I tell the people on you say something and you'll get and then you'll have somebody come back at you and say, Well, I rented up my whole fifth floor. Well, yeah, you're you're in downtown Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You know, so a little bit easier to to rent those in downtown Miami. And it's yes. probably rent 12 floors if you were in downtown Miami, right? People going anywhere, mm-hmm. anything down there. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a if you're in a, a smaller city and I can go and I can get a unit on the first floor down the road. I'm probably not going to go up your elevator to the fourth floor and then walk half a mile to rent your storage unit unless you give it to me for $30. And especially to the product base, if I'm renting a 10 by 20 on a fourth floor, think about what I got to do to fill up that 10 by 20, all the stuff that I got to be taking in elevators up and down to fill it up. And if I'm using that thing on a regular basis, that's a huge extra step in that rental process that I'm not going to want to do. And we yeah. see people when they do that unit design where it's like, well, every single floor has 10 by 10s, 10 by 20s, 5 by 5s. And it's just like all the floors are the same. And we're like, why? Like right. move all the big units to the bottom and do it pyramid style on the square footage that is being offered. Like that fourth or fifth floor should just be 5 by 5s. Like, yeah, exactly. And then work your way down. So they don't have to go in the elevator 20 times to get up there. Another thing people aren't thinking of, which obviously I think of because of where I came from, but if these people are hiring movers that get paid by the hour, yeah, it just got a lot more expensive, didn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, you know, it's only a one-time cost, but again, people don't, they don't want to pay that, that extra money. That can dwarf the cost of rent. Yeah, move into a unit where they can just pull up and the movers can unload the stuff in an hour. Now it takes them, you know, three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's such a good point. So, uh, I mean, when people people always say, oh, yeah, there's no difference. People go to the fourth floor. I'm just like, that is not what I've seen at all. No, yeah. it, we've definitely not seen that. We, there was, we were looking at a facility in a market that was brand new. Where was that? Was that Iowa? Or remember, um, what was that? It was somewhere in the Midwest. And you and Brian went in and you secret shopped it. Um, and they were that brand new and multi-story. And it was like the top three stories were pretty much vacant. And I was like, well, look around. You're right. You're the only multi-story building in the entire city. Mm-hmm. And look at your demographic. Yeah, just going to go down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's going to run from there because they don't want no, it. They'll go down the road and get one on the first floor. Exactly. Right? Unless, unless you're giving them a discounted price to go to the second floor. Yeah. And that's where it becomes all of a sudden your underwriting is totally screwed up because yeah. you underwrote like all these, you could rent these units at the same price. You're like, that's not how it works. That's not um, Unless you're in New York, that's not how it works. No, and you've got to discount those and realize what those renters will be able to uh, take to stomach. And that can really take a hit when you're going from, you know, two bucks a square foot on the bottom floor to the top floor, you're at a buck a square foot. That's 50% off that bottom floor. And we see it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing is where are the customers going to have problems in self-storage? Yeah. Where do they have the problems? They have them at the, what, gates probably, right? Yep. The gate's stuck. My code's not working, something like that. 
or the elevators. Yep, 100%. Right? I can't get the elevator work. It's not coming down. The door's jammed, something like that. You know, they put a, a broom and it's overlapping and they hit something. I mean, these things happen, right? Yes. Um, so, yeah, we we basically try to avoid then the, the second, not, not even so much the second, because I don't think the second is a huge deal. But when you start going into three and four, um, that's when it's just like people are really going to start thinking about it. like, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to go up to the fourth floor. Well, and I hear a lot of people talk about this where they're like, you know, it's the same square footage. It's the same box. And I'm like, it's not what's the same or not. It's about perceived value. So like how we look at self-storage is the perceived value. And that value presentation happens in two places. It happens online and it happens in the office. And so when they're looking at that square footage, that's where that value is sold. So if I'm online and I'm like, it's the first fourth floor, not the first that perceived value has dropped substantially and what I feel that I should pay for that. Once again, not in all cases in places like New York, downtown, Chicago, or Miami, right, right, right. it doesn't yeah. matter, but that is a fraction of the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you brought, this is bringing up another good point is that people also think like, uh, especially people new to the industry think like, Oh, people don't want the outside storage units anymore. The row storage facilities. I don't see that at all. You know what I see? I see a lot of people that love to drive right up to their unit and unpack their stuff into their unit and then leave. Yep. You don't need to have one of the, you know, $10 million building with a nice climate controlled. Is that beautiful and nice? Yeah. But a lot of people would prefer just to drive up to their unit and, uh, and unload their stuff and then go about their, their life. So um, I see that all the time. I was Let me share with you some interesting numbers on that. I don't mean to cut you off, dude, but you just no, hit no, on this. Go ahead. We were looking at a market where my partners were like, hey, we want to build out the inside. And they're like, we can get so much more rent per square foot. And I'm like, guys, that's not necessarily true. And what had happened was in that market, everybody built climate controlled, right? Because of how they needed to go up and how it was, everything else like that. A lot of cities are like that now. Yeah, Virtually yeah. all of it is climate control. And when you looked at the market, the outdoor storage units traded at a premium from the indoor because everything was indoor climate controlled. So the people that needed to drive up to drop their stuff off, contractors, things like that, there was very limited availability and it was going at a higher price than the indoor climate controlled was. That meant you could build at a fraction of the cost and charge a higher price. And when I showed them the numbers, their mind was blown. They just had this assumption that because it was indoor climate controlled meant that people would pay more. And I'm like, supply and demand. You can't forget it. Supply and demand. When 30% of your supply is climate controlled and only 10% want climate controlled, climate controlled is irrelevant now because you have 3x the supply as you have demand. And all of a sudden it goes down or it goes under what has limited supply, those bigger drive-up units. It's very much a micro game. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is a great story. That is a great story that you actually had a situation where you could put real numbers to it. I was in a situation where a big developer, you know, um, they think they're really, you know, great. Yeah. And they, they, think <laughs> yeah. they, they think they're really smart and really great. And this was a big project and uh, there was some competition around and there was one that had like, you know, it wasn't huge, but it had like 500 just row facility storage units, very close. Um, 
and he just shoot shoot it. Like, yeah, yeah, let's drive up. That that that, that don't matter. They're not your competition. You're you're gonna crush them. You're climate controlled. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think they are, you know, and I some people would rather go to that facility. Yeah. And I know that actually for a fact, I know that. Um, but then a good way, a good thing that that we do, and I'm sure you guys probably do, is if you do have one of those facilities, uh, you know, throw some pods out there, throw some uh, containers outside and use them as the drive up units. Now yes. in New York, in New York, we're in a, a little bit of a different situation where they aren't taxed. Yes. So, um, it's nice here in New York that you can get the, uh, you get the containers, you put them outside, like drive up units, people rent them the exact same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you get a, a good container, don't get a cheap container because yeah. then the, you know, the rain will get in them. You'll have all types of problems that you don't want. But to the have. good ones, people can hardly tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly. So um, you put some of those outside and there's your, you know, solution to that problem. But uh, And you get to depreciate that at 100% like year one. That's exactly. the crazy, the, those things. Those things, the depreciation on those things mm-hmm. are so awesome. Yeah. Because exactly. it's viewed as um, like a product, something that you own in that building. It's exactly. not viewed as buildings. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And we're actually going to. We're going to cut all this talk about tax stuff out of the podcast. So New York doesn't like release some legislation <laughs> right. or something. They're we're like, going to come back and we can tax that. They're probably going to come after us now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need that. We need some of that tax revenue. Now, I got to tell you one thing with those, just because now we're on, on that. And I could just go on about these subjects forever. But the, the shipping costs on the containers now has mm-hmm. Increased so dramatically. Uh, we when we got them, I think we got a, a pretty large order like a two or three years ago. Um, they have been like 30,000 for shipping. Now they give you a range, it was like a hundred to 130 just for shipping. So, I mean, shipping costs have literally 3x to 4x in price to get it's the container. crazy. Right. I mean, that's that's a huge difference. Um, but that's one negative about the containers. Yeah. They gave you a lot of positives, but that's a negative about it right now. Yes. And again, with the with the way these ports are backed up, I don't I don't see that changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Now, what do you view about acquisitions right now? We've kind of talked through some of the building things, stuff like that. Talk to us about acquisitions, your strategy. Um, and how it's looking for you, because things are so expensive right now. I know it's on the top of everybody's mind. Yeah, I think it's pretty similar um, to what most people are thinking. You're trying to get the off-market deals right. Um, even some of the smaller facilities, there's definitely there's room there where the the bigger players aren't going. So anything fifty thousand square feet or less, you can you can probably find pretty good deals, right? Also, like we talked about a little bit, if you're if you're willing to mix and match things a little bit, uh, which we are then it becomes easier for you, right? I, I'm in a situation, um, we don't have the deal, but uh, it's a situation where there's like contractor garages. Um, so they're basically, uh, they have, you know, uh, bathrooms and they're basically just like a bigger garage door, right? Say like 25 by 40, most of them are. Um, and there's 10 of them. So uh, also with storage units. So we're going to, you know, in that situation, they're really undervaluing the contractor garages. Um, 
you know, people don't really know that you can lease them out yet. They don't know what they, they rent for. Um, but I got to tell you, them contractor garages, and I talk about this one on Twitter all the time too, the contractor garages lease up so fast. that it's Oh, fast. We're, right? we're building those of, right now. A lot of plumbers, a lot of electricians, just general contractors that they want to store their van. They want to store their tools. Uh-huh. They want a space that's bigger than a 10 by 20. Yes. But smaller, you know, than an industrial lease, 2,500, 3,000 square feet that they have to sign a three-year uh, triple net lease for, right? So um, there's definitely a lot of room in that space. Uh, we're actually going to build contractor garages new um, in our new build also. So I love them. Yeah, but again, yeah that's a good with, move. Yeah, yeah. with the acquisitions, that when, you're, when you're willing to uh, – to lease some other things besides just the self-storage, you know, maybe there's some office space with the storage units. Um, there's definitely room to move there. Uh, but yeah, under 50,000 square feet, you can still, still find some deals over 50,000 square feet. You're yes. big, big, big and a lot of competition. It's tough, right? It's tough. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't even know how some of the people are making money. Yeah, we deals uh, we yeah, see right there with you. It's <laughs> like we're shocked. Yeah. We're, we're seeing deals that we're literally just like, how do you pay for your debt? Yep. Like literally, how do you pay your debt payments? It's crazy. Um, the it, it's they're I don't know what they're doing on their underwriting, but they are. Uh, I mean, some of them have to just be a whole lot of hoping and praying because it don't make much sense. Yeah, or just a place to park their money, right? I mean, that that could be a possibility, but yeah, I think I I think you're right. I think you hit on it, man. I think that people are afraid of more afraid of losing money than making money. That so they're just like, we don't even care. It's not about getting a great return, anything else. We just need our money to go somewhere that in five years it's not gonna lose seven to ten percent annually. And yeah. so even if it just even if it just doesn't lose money, we're better off. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm even seeing some deals where it's like they're trying to sell a, a, a three cap and the place is, you know, 65% leased. I'm like, yeah. who's, who's buying this deal? <laughs> yeah. Like, and then it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody buys it. Somebody like, buys it. Well, I guess the, they, they had a lot of confidence in that, right? To pay a premium for something that was a 65% leased, right? Yeah. Um, but again, those are just deals. You, you, you stay away from them. You can still find deals. There's always a deal out yes. there to be had, I think. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, it's impossible to find a deal. But when you really get the broker connection down and they know that you're serious, and I, I think that's the same thing in apartments. Um, you know, when you get those connections down and you put it out there that you're looking for facilities um, and you're serious buyer, the deals will come to you. You know, these, yeah. these brokers are just working off numbers. They want speed, right? And yes. that's all they're in it for. They're in mm-hmm. it for speed and they speed. want to go to a guy that they know the deal will, will be easy and won't fall through and won't take a year. hundred percent. Right. I, so I, I tell that to so many people. I'm like, you know, and we've gotten deals that um, we got a deal this, this year that we were a quarter million under asking. And it's like the broker's like, no, go with them. Cause I know they'll close. And right now, the amount of deals falling under contract, I've never seen, dude. I've never seen so many deals 
fall out of contract is what we're seeing right now. We just got back one that we thought was done and broker comes back. We're not taking it out to market. We're not taking it out. We're just seeing them stall out, fall out of market. And I can only assume that those three caps they put it under contract for, they're running the numbers and they're like, oh, you know, maybe this this isn't what we thought. Yeah, or the interest rates changing so fast. Yes. Uh, the deal really, <laughs> the deal changed, right? Yep, that three um, cap to them is now a, oh, a two cap. And I, just, I just got a term sheet over and uh, in an email, and it was from my, my finance girl, and it, the, uh, the headline was, it, it changed a point in two weeks. So, I mean, that was like, wow. Yeah. I can't believe it moved. <laughs> that's like pretty that fast, fast, right? So, yeah. Um, that's probably what's happening. A lot of these deals are just falling through because financing at the end of the day doesn't make sense at this point. And it, it's changing so fast that you weren't yeah. prepared for it. I mean, even though you knew you didn't really like, oh, I wasn't like, thinking it would go, go up a point that, that fast. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not stopping. It's still going up. And I think it's, that's, I, I would think too, that it, it might even go faster as time continues to go. And, and as the fed tries to keep up and, and make up for some of this lost time. Um, I, I don't know. That's just my, my thoughts on that too, is they could very well come out and say, Hey, yeah, we've got to go, you know, instead of doing these 25 basis points, we got to do a hundred, you know, like all at once or whatever that looks I'm, like there it's, it doesn't seem to be affecting inflation. You had this fast move and we're looking at the CPI numbers and everything right now. We're not seeing demand crash it's not happening and so all of a sudden when that's tied to it you know I, there's obviously a lagging effect and i think what you're going to see is you're going to see demand in certain areas but when you're looking at like core inflation that's hitting families right like how much are interest rates really going to help or hurt a lot of those things the housing market will probably slow down it's not going to crash but it'll probably slow down now if interest rates go bonkers and yeah it'll stop but when you're dealing with uh, you know all this other types of inflation that are really hitting people that aren't buying homes, it's not slowing down. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, I I think you know the rates are just going to keep rising. Who knows how high they'll go, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's all just a guess, but you'd have to think at this point that that that's where it's headed. Yeah, and uh, you know this is an interesting thing when people are like. Well, are you still buying? Are you not buying? We're like, yeah, we're buying. I'm buying good deals, right? I want good deals. And a good deal is a good deal today. It's a good deal tomorrow. It's a good deal the next day. I I just, I can't time markets. We don't try. We're aware of it. And it really does uh, affect how we look at our investment thesis. But when we're buying a good deal, I want to buy it when we're in a market crash. I want to buy it when the market's hot. And I want to buy it when the market's sideways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm of the uh, the theory that it's it's hard to predict markets, so I'm always a buyer. Exactly. Right? Just the same as stocks. It's hard to predict stocks, so I'm always buying. Just um, dollar cost average that. <laughs> that exactly. Dollar cost average and, uh, you know, you're trying to find good deals. And then, then there's also the side of me that's like, if those, uh, you know, 50 basis points are, are killing your deal, it probably wasn't that great of a deal anyway. Hundred percent. Exactly right. And I think what you just said is the important thing. I think a lot of people, the deal was based upon financing to make it work. Right. As in, we got financing terms that made this thing work. That is not how I buy deals. I know that's not how you buy deals. We come from very much the same spot and same background where it's like, 
we're long-term, you're using yours and your family's money, right? We're not playing quick games. I'm not playing a cap rate compression flip. I'm not doing short-term financing into long-term financing to make these things work. So when you're looking at that deal like that, it, it changes the way you buy. Well, I'll also tell you what it, another thing that it really is, and I'll probably go off on a different subject now, but the they there's these, and this guy started a long time ago, probably, and I know because he's tried to buy me 10 times, but the prime storage um, is yeah. a big fund. Uh, and the owner actually lives right down the road from me. So I know exactly what he does. He's, he's tried to buy me. I know his acquisitions. Oh. I basically know everything that he's done. And he's done it for a long time, way before any of these guys on Twitter have done it uh, or started posting about it. He's done it forever, right? He's actually yeah. a billionaire. But his fund, right, has a certain amount of time to spend this money or they yes. lose the money. Yes, so for them, it might not be a great deal, but I'm not going to lose this money. So I'm going to find something to buy. Yep. It's, I'll tell you what, it's great if you're a seller of self-storage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? 100%. That is so true. Because they'll pay absurd prices. E- even yeah. even, even for, for me, some of the numbers that they threw out, you had to think about. Yeah, you really had to exactly. think about Because you're like, I don't even know if it's like, it's like, We've had some of that. Oh, yeah. Where you're like, I'm never a seller. And you find yourself five nights later still. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Right. Are you right. really going to pay me that? Like, <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, and at some point, too, again, it really it comes down to what makes sense. You know, the yeah. velocity of money and then capital and things like that. I mean, if you can take, uh, if you could sell an asset and take that money, redeploy it and make more, I mean, dude, yeah, do that all day long. All day long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I never say that I'm never a seller because, 100%. Yes. and especially the things I've seen in the self-storage market, you know, yeah, I, I, I could be, it could be a seller at some point, but we're selling one right now. I'd sell another one to take some chips off the table. I'm not doing like the portfolio sell, but you're right, dude. If things kept going the way they were going and all of a sudden you got people that are like, yeah, I'll pay you 300 bucks a square foot. And like our average of our portfolio over the last 15 years is like $60 a square foot. Right. I mean, all of a sudden right. you're going, I can take that and I can go buy it 150 bucks a square foot. Exactly. Or I can build at 150 bucks a square foot. So yeah, at some point, there's always a point where you sell. The but driving up the, the people really driving up these prices are, are people like, like the prime storage fund. Yes. Um, and it's just a different game, right? Yeah, they're using uh, they're using the cost segregations, right? Then yep. after the seven years, they sell a lot of that portfolio. Yeah, and you know who they sell them to? They're selling them to people like uh, Life Storage. Yeah, uh, stuff reads. like that. So Prime is like a, they're like a little, they're a fund that's smaller than those the REITs. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So it go it would go like the funds, and then it would probably go to then the big players, which are like the REITs, which are who. Prime sold a lot of the ones locally to. They sold them to um, Life Storage. Um, yeah. So that's basically how the chain goes. Yep. Moving it up. Moving it up. And that 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 play works. It, it it's and I have a I have a friend that that is their entire strategy, and they're open about it. They're like, we're just buying them up, right? But I know that I, I can get these guys. I can get a re that'll buy these things at a four cap i can i am at a five and improve revenue so they're a six or a seven and then i got a spread on a seven cap to a four cap 
and three years, I'm making huge money. Yeah. And so it's, that's, that's the problem. I, I, I am not that type of investor. I do not like event-based investing, meaning an event has to occur in order for me to get that return. Super scary. I don't like that. But when you're dealing with other people's money, that is a way that you can make just tons of money because you're moving just, you're just, you're just moving capital and taking the spread of it to the tunes of, you know, spreads of hundreds of millions. It's a huge game. I think about the, the, the raising of a fund every day, every day. I think about it because I I see what's going on and, and is what they're doing that complicated? No, it's, it's really not that complicated to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, The advantage that we have over them though, is they literally will not buy any property that's not stabilized. Yes. So they're not really in the conversion game. They're not in the smaller self-storage game. Um, they, they don't get the returns that. we do. But you can even tell them. Uh, we had a property that we were like, what, what do you think you would buy this for? You know, 85% stabilized. And they're, uh, you know, they told us a figure. Uh, would you have any interest in, you know, buying it now? Nope, not at all. But if you do get it to 85%, then we'll definitely buy it, buy it off you for, for triple the price. Yeah. You know, so that's your advantage. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can literally go and you get a conversion that you know is going to fill. It's in a good spot. And they have no problem even giving you figures on yeah. what they would pay for it. No problem doing that. That's, you know, they just want, they're all about speed. Goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. They're like the ultra, uh, ultra speed, right? Whereas we're probably somewhere in the middle here. Yes. 100%. About speed. It's, I have a formula. It meets it. Here's a check. Boom. That's it. Where, you know, we're yield guys, right? We're going in and we're making that yield. We're making it happen. And, you know, we started a fund and everything, but it's nothing like those people, right? We started OPM because we're still dependent on the yield. I got to find deals that we can extract that yield without selling it. We actually work and earn it and we figure it out. And that's a huge advantage for little guys. Like, I mean, to think about, and I talk to people about this all the time. They're like, well, why doesn't a fund just do that? And I'm like, a fund buying a $3 million property when you're a $50 billion fund? Why? Because they'll lose money just applying resources to it. It doesn't matter what the return on their capital is. They're going to lose money. That's not how the economics of those guys work. And so for us and for guys, they're even smaller just getting into it. For you to go out and buy a one, two, three, four, five million dollar property, and you can turn that property around, you can build it, you can do a conversion, and you can get that big yield. They obtain their numbers because of cost to capital and moving capital around. I obtain my numbers by running a great business. And those are two different games entirely. Yeah, absolutely. If they make a small percentage on a $100 million deal, it's still a lot of money. Yeah. Right? But if, you know, they're not going to take, they're not, they don't want that $3 million deal that they made a small, a small percentage on, right? They want, it's the same thing like apartments. When you get into apartments, when you start getting into the 100, 150 apartments range, it's a different game, right? Different game. Compared to if you're going to buy a, a duplex, yep. you're probably going to do a lot better on the duplex, right? Yep. Um, and this was often misunderstood. Like even probably 
I don't want to say it, probably seven years ago, people did not equate self-storage with real estate and with like apartments at all. But now literally it's, they're very similar. Very similar. The the big facilities are just like a, a large uh, apartment building facility. Right. And the the small ones are literally just like a a small facility. You know, you buy a six unit, you can probably get a decent deal. Right. Yeah. But if you buy a a 50 unit, eh, probably ain't going to be that great of a deal. No matter where you are. No matter where you are. 100%. You know, it's funny because I was talking with a broker a decade ago and it was right when institutional capital was coming in and we were at lunch and we were starting to see cap rate compression and everything else. And we were at a table with a bunch of guys and I was like, listen, it's not turning around. Cap rates aren't going to follow interest rates like they used to. There's like interest rates and cap rates in storage were so directly correlated, right, where they weren't in other commercial real estate assets. And self-storage would just get obliterated. And I'm like, that's not going to happen anymore. And I was like, we're going to track like apartment buildings. And I've been saying that for a decade. And it's now happening. Like this year, we're seeing it. You're seeing the same cap rates, the same buyers. It's Which is crazy to me because I don't believe it's as secure of revenue if you're just comparing two, same location, same demand, everything else like that. One has longer term leases than the others. I have an actual known amount that I'm going to incur over a year, right? And they're trading at the same cap rates that a storage is trading at. And I'm like, whoa, you would have never seen that. That just blows my mind. crazy to think. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I I also have a lot of apartments. uh, And the one thing that just scares me with the apartments, I mean, just comparing them, is just the the, the eviction laws. I mean, I I don't want to get too much into apartments, but, you know, again, I'm in New York. Right. Yeah. New York is the worst for everything. <laughs> Anything to do with business, New York is the worst for. So if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But, right. uh, <laughs> you know, it's just the eviction laws are so crazy. Whereas in self-storage, it's just not like that. So, yeah. And that was the big change. Yeah. Not having those long leases. Yes. Um, so that, with inflation, everybody's realizing well, this is a really good thing because, well, you're stuck into a year-long lease. We have inflation jump at 7%. Next right. month, I'm changing. 7% yeah. increase. Going out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, the demand for apartments is is ridiculously high also. So, it's unreal. You know, I, I I was saying the other day, I put put an apartment on the, the, uh, the Facebook marketplace. It had like 102 uh, responses within like a half an hour. Um, wow, jeez. But again, it's uh, the reason you like the storage is just you never know. Even yeah. like the, the COVID situation where you couldn't do evictions. I mean, is that something like that ever going to happen again? I mean, that that's scary. That's yeah. scary stuff for apartment owners, right? Um, whereas in self storage, you, you stayed away from that. So, uh, but yeah, they they're 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 tracking close to the same numbers. And people look at them very similar at this point. Right? Very similar, mm-hmm. which has never happened before. No, it's never has. But but even though in when you especially when you get down to Florida and you get down to Texas and the places with the growing population, the prices of those storage units that's that's not how you got you got to really look at it. Oh, I got five hundred units. Oh, really? Do you? Five hundred units in uh, Omaha is a lot different than five hundred units down there. In, in Miami, the, the 10 by 20s, you look at them, like $700, $750 for a 10 by 20. It's crazy. It's unbelievable, the prices of these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about tracking numbers, you got to stay on top of them. Yeah. 
That's that's yeah. one thing that a lot of people I don't think understand in storage. Like you see rent differences, right? If I'm in uh, Southern California versus Idaho, there's going to be a 40% difference in what you can charge somebody in rent on an apartment building. But there's a 400% difference in storage. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's crazy. It's like, it, it, it's, yeah, we get 50 bucks and they get 500. Like, yeah. it's not the same. Yeah. And you're exactly right. And you get into a 1200 unit facility where the price per square foot is five bucks a month, right? Um, that facility, you know, it's doing millions. It is not like a, you know, facility in the Midwest or <laughs> they're, they're totally different animals. They're not yeah, even no, it's just like class, class A, class A apartments, right? Versus class A self storage. So it's just yeah. a complete, complete different animal. Um, but I will say this also, when you're doing the comparison, people don't get nearly as angry when you raise the prices on self-storage units. 100%. To be honest with you, I, I mean, you got you get a couple calls, but I mean, if you do it in an apartment building, you can guarantee that you're going to get a, if you raise yeah. 100 apartments, you're getting 100 calls. You're getting 100 calls. Of the people that aren't happy about it, right? Yep. You raise, you raise a self-storage facility, you'll get five, 10 calls. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're, it's not bad. Sure, they don't even, eh, not yeah. a big deal. Now, go but, find another storage facility. That's like when I got started renting, I was like, I can't become a landlord unless I'm willing to do what needs to be done. And that means if I'm willing to kick out a mother with three kids who has nowhere to go, right, then I can become a landlord. But I couldn't do that. I have no problem kicking somebody out of a 10 by 20. Zero. Get out. I don't care. Get your junk out. (laughs) It's just a different thing, right? It's not, it's not livelihood. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's why everybody loves self-storage, right? That's why it is rapid increase in prices. That's why, uh, but, but like we did talk about, there's a lot of people that are jumping into the game that really don't know what they're doing. Um, It's it's dominated by that now. Dominated. Go back to the, the developer that told me that, you know, no one wants those uh, drive-up row units. I had to look at him <laughs> yeah. like he was crazy. And he's a smart guy, right? He's, yeah. he's doing huge, huge deals. He's a yeah. smart guy. Yeah, yeah. People only want climate control. That that facility, you're going to wipe them somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it, it's self-storage has become dominated with people that have never been in this asset class in an environment that cap rates weren't shrinking and revenue wasn't rising. And you see funds that are deploying hundreds of millions of dollars at three, four caps, and they've been in the game for two years. Right. And, it, you know, it's changing the way buyers perceive their options. And it's changing the way a lot of people perceive because the operators that have been around that have been operating these assets for a long time, they don't perceive it like a capital movement transaction. They perceive it like a business and operating it. And they're a lot more tactical about how they're doing things. And it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. But I think what's going to happen is rising interest rates is going to cut a lot of those people out. Right. But us, the operators, the guys, we're not going anywhere. We're all we're going to be in it. Right. But capital uh, events will affect them a lot more where, you know, you, us, we're in the business of self-storage. And I think that's different. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said, I mean, you know, 50 basis points doesn't really affect us 
as yep. much as it's going to affect guys that are just doing finance deals, right? Yeah. That's essentially what a lot of these self-storage players are right now. Guys just playing the numbers and doing finance deals. Yes. So, um, yeah, they're going to be out of the game, which is great for us. And we're going to be, you know, better operators and, uh, you know, actually doing the business of self-storage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, we'll be looking for some more good deals coming exactly. up. Exactly. So. Yes, we will. <laughs> so uh, before we go, man, here, what, what, what's your next step? What are, you, what are you planning on? What are you doing? You're down in Florida now. Uh, you got big moves. You're going to start taking OPM or what's your plan? Yeah, after this conversation, after we just talked about it, I probably got to start a fund or something, right? Exactly. I into that side of it. You guys convinced me. So I guess that I'm going to start it right when I get off this podcast. There you go, man. No, I mean we're gonna we're gonna continue to go. There, there's one side of me that wants to do that, then there's the other one that says, you know, if you just get to 25, 30 facilities, you, you're you got to you probably got enough cash flow where you might be able to do this pretty consistently. Yeah. You know, and get to a hundred, right? Yes. One to 10 is probably, you know, that's hard. You know, 10 to 20, a little bit harder is, is, is once you is hit that number to 50 that hard. I don't know. I don't know. So it, it, it's a hard decision that I go back and forth on every day. Um, as far as territory though, love Florida. Um, you know, Florida is obviously the spot with, with the population rising. And yeah. uh, obviously we see how many people move there. Uh, you know, being in the moving business, we have real statistics and then the numbers are astounding on, on how many people move to Florida and Texas, self-storage apartments, anything in Florida and Texas is going to go crazy. It's not going to stop. Yeah. No inflation, nothing's going to stop Florida. Yeah. I just can't see it. You yeah. know, maybe in other places stuff will stop, but in Florida, nothing's stopping. I, it's one of the markets that I view, listen, you got some regional spots when you're dealing with like Nashville, Florida, when you're dealing with Texas, when you're dealing with like Utah, Idaho. So man, you're going to get hiccups, but it's not stopping. No, it's the not. migration trends are, these are decade long, yeah. 50 plus year trends. Florida's not stopping. It's no. not. And it, it, there's only so much of it. And they're all business friendly States, right? That yes, just made, exactly. Right? Yep. So, uh, exactly. I mean, things, so obviously you're, you're trying, the goal is to get anything you possibly can in, in those places. Um, other big ones, North Carolina, South Carolina, huge, huge. I'm, they're not, they're I, not I, they're on, they're the next, know. right? Yep. Um, Georgia. Yeah. So right up, right up that East coast. Um, Dude, that Southeast. Pff, yeah. You start it. getting more North than that though. Then it's who knows what's going to happen. Right goes downhill from there. No one wants to be in the cold. So, uh, yeah, that's the plan. So at this point, we'll probably go south, go from the, you know, go from the southeast up instead of the plan was to go <laughs> northeast down, right? We just, you know, yeah, yeah, we reversed it. So, yeah, that's the plan. Love it, man. Very cool. Love it. And where can people find out more about you? Where can people go to check you out? Uh, yeah, I mean, the only place really that I'm posting now is on Twitter. You know, I really just started getting heavy into the social media. That's where we connected. Yep. Um, so I'd say, you know, that's, that's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. We'll put Sounds that great. link below and uh, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for uh, yeah, talking absolutely. to us about what you're doing, what you're seeing out there. I, I love having real people, real operators that are out there doing it. Give us kind of an inside look at their, their markets and their understanding. Cause a lot of people are, they, they they're trying to, they're trying to contextualize all of these things that are happening in the world um, and then trying to move into it. So it, it's really good to get your viewpoint. We appreciate it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great talking with you guys. Heck yeah. yeah Thanks for so sure. much, man. We'll have you on again. We'll see you. See you guys.